Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Savior, Pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you on this Tuesday morning. I want to begin while nobody's watching. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sean. Happy birthday to you. Many of you don't know who Sean is. Sean is 30 years young today. I and Patricia and I met Sean when he was a tiny little bambino in the arms of his mother, a little baby, nearly 30 years ago. And Sean uh, grew up uh, very blessed. His mother loved him, cares for him very much. And Sean um, today is 30, and he had an opportunity in his life several years ago. We're going back probably, oh, maybe eight, seven, eight years ago. I get the perfect timing on it. And Sean grew up, uh, if I could tell just a little bit of his story, I think he'd be okay with this. I hope so. I'd like to get some permission first, maybe. But um, Sean uh, grew up and uh, he lost his father at a very young age. He lost his father and his father had passed away. And Sean basically grew up being raised by his mom and within the church. And he was very loved, very cared for. And um, he took upon himself, uh, after his father had passed, he received a little bit of um, uh, inheritance. And Sean took his inheritance, uh, a portion of it, 
and he decided he wanted to go see the world. Sean wanted to go see the world, and he did. Uh, he wanted to go to school in China, and he did. He was in China, Shanghai, uh, if I believe the, the place is right. He traveled to the Middle East. Um, he was in Europe. He was all over the world, and he was experiencing life at a very, very fast pace, and he just kind of did just this free-flowing thing, and he's such a charming young man. Everywhere he went, he basically found a lot of favor. And, of course, being a young man, you know, getting in your young 20s, uh, that type of thing, um, you're just out there. And um, one particular day, several years ago, uh, this young man, Sean, and I think he was about 24 at the time. Maybe I can get a better number on that. Sean was in China. And uh, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was around 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 in the morning, and he was scooting across the street, and Sean got hit at a high speed of between 40 and 60 miles an hour by a moving van that was traveling down that road, and as he and his friends were jetting across the street, he got hit. And Sean uh, was taken immediately to the hospital, which uh, our friends actually went to China and were with Sean and testified. Uh, this was like a third world uh, hospital. Sean had laid on a, on a gurney bed in the hallway for hours. Meanwhile, his functions were shutting down. Uh, the impact was so incredible that he took a very harsh hit to his brain. And um, they didn't really do much, and he, was, he, was, uh, he just was hurt. Sean got hurt very, very bad. Uh, paralyzed, brain function shutting down, neurological shutting down, nervous system, all, everything was shutting down. Um, so our friends went there and uh, in the instruction of his mother, and uh, everybody was working together. And uh, there was a church in China, and this, this one Chinese young lady was going to church in California with our friends, Paul and Kathy, and they knew her. So just by association, by going to the same church, and uh, Kathy wound up getting on the plane with this Chinese woman, and they went to China, but this Chinese woman had called the Chinese church in China, and those believers were going to the hospital every day praying for Sean, praying for Sean. Uh, we remember the pictures. We have the pictures. Sean was dying. He was a vegetable. He was gone. Uh, my friend Paul says he was talking to him at one point, and he wasn't there. Sean was gone. Well, eventually what happened, the, we got Sean out. His mother worked it all out to get Sean back to the United States, and he was uh, supernaturally, uh, the financial cost, everything, God supernaturally provided everything to get Sean back home. And he went into San Diego. His mom went out there and, and uh, started watching over him for several months, and the idea was to get Sean back to Northwest Arkansas, where his mother was living, and uh, the church could be around Sean and help Sean, you know, recover to some degree. And um, so that's what happened. And he's been with us now for a good six or seven years. I have to get the timing. And um, today, Sean is 30. Today, Sean stands up in every single one of our church services. He will shout out in the middle of my preaching and ask the most intelligent questions. Um, Sean is, uh, when you think maybe he's not tuned in or paying attention, I'll say something the whole congregation will just kind of let it go over and he'll get a question in there. Sean eats 
like uh, he's a growing young boy. He loves his, uh, his, his desserts. He loves good food. Um, he exercises. He works out. Uh, there's tremendous love that flows into his life uh, almost daily. Um, he, is, he does these little uh, mental games. Um, he smiles. He's, he's in touch. He's in tune. He's aware. And I'm just thinking on this 30th birthday, what a great time for the Ministry of Miracles to take on another level of authority and goodwill for Brother Sean. And today, as he is celebrating his 30th year upon this earth in his physical body, uh, he is a true believer in Jesus Christ, and he is working out a salvation, and he has been healed tremendously compared to where he was. And if he had been left in China, he would no doubt have died and passed away there. There's no doubt in anybody's mind. But by the power of God's grace, the power of prayer, the love that poured into his life from people that loved him, his mother first, and um, you know those around the life. I mean, the love of God just really touched his life. And I want to say happy birthday, Sean. And I'm so glad you're still with us. And I know that God has a great calling on your life and a purpose for your existence. And it's not meaningless. It's very valuable. And just the fact that you're doing what you're doing right now is a testimony. And uh, you're hearing the word of God. You're listening to the word of God. You're, you're, you're just there, man. And we thank God for that. And the promise for all of us is not only the, the possibility of an absolute bona fide further miracle in your life where you'll actually be driving again and getting on that motorcycle again and traveling again. Uh, there's no reason why God can't do that. And we're all good with that. But as for all of us, even those of us that are not in that, you know, that difficult place physically, uh, we're all going to a place where we're getting brand new bodies. And even the martyred saints of God who have been beheaded for the cause of Christ, when they awaken the resurrection, they too, their spirit and soul is getting a brand new body. So because of Jesus Christ, we have such great hope, such great hope that God has made a promise and he cannot lie. He's not a man that he would lie. And putting our faith and trust in him and already seeing what he has done along the way, I believe he's going to be true to his promises, every single one of them, 100%, not just a little bit. Right now, we all see through a glass darkly, uh, but then face-to-face, -face, we'll see him as he is, and he'll know us. And uh, there's some great stuff ahead of us, Sean. So today is your 30th birthday, and we're so glad you're with us. And I love the fact that you tune into these broadcasts every day. And I want to celebrate you. And also, Sean, as you know, yes, uh, today is your 30th birthday. Well, last night we were celebrating another life. Our elder in the church at New Wine Ministry, Phil, one of the elders in our church, Phil turned 80. Phil was so happy last night. I was looking across the table. We were celebrating his birthday. And his favorite dessert or fruit is blueberry. If you just say the word blueberry, Phil gets a smile and a gleam in his eye. He gets this little light go on in his eye and this little smile. So his beloved wife, Miriam, uh, made two blueberry pies. And after our incredible meal, granted by the ladies at, at, in the house, which was the uh, Sally, of course, was doing her part, and then our sister Lori, we call her, um, 
I don't know. I don't think it's very nice to call her a fish lady, but she has been making smoked salmon and sharing it with the body of Christ now for quite some time. And we are the recipients of that beautiful offering. Once a week, Patricia and I get this incredible blessing where she brings this smoked salmon. And I can't even begin to tell you the flavor of it. So Lori brought two smoked salmons yesterday. And it was all together. We had the meal. And then after the meal, we had the salad. We had homemade dressings, buttermilk dressings. I mean, it was awesome. And then after the meal, the blueberry pie came out, Sean. Listen to this. The blueberry pie came out. And you could look across the table and see Phil, his eyes got like this. And all of a sudden, the slicing was going on and putting in the plates. And blueberries were just pouring out of this pie. And we sat there and we all started partaking of our blueberry pie and we're eating our blueberry pie, wondering how much sugar's in it. Well, it doesn't matter. It's his birthday, blah, blah. And Miriam did a fabulous job. It was not coated with sugar. It was great. And I looked across the table and what did I see? I saw Elder Phil, blueberries on the side here, blueberries on it, and smiling. He had such a big smile on his face. And I was sitting there just rejoicing in my heart how this young man, 80 years young, was enjoying that pie like he may have been, I don't know, eight instead of 80. But I wanted to say to Elder Phil on his 80th birthday, again, publicly, happy birthday to you, sir. May this be the greatest year of your life. And an amazing age. Gosh, you've lived a full life at 80 70 and 80 if by strength, and this is all extra now, Phil, all extra, and yet God is continuing to work in your life, and we at New Wine Ministry are so glad that you sit as a pillar in our house, and uh, it's been a phenomenal journey. So happy 80th birthday to you, and Sean, happy 30th birthday to you. We love both of you very much, and uh, you are intrinsic to our ministry. We, without either one of you, uh, we would have a gap. And we're just so thankful that uh, we're going to do eternity together. So God bless both of you, and happy birthday uh, from the bottom of my heart. We had so many birthdays in January. It's scary. How many birthdays? Klaus had a birthday. Paul Schumann had a birthday. Uh, I mean, there's so many. I keep losing sight of all the names. Chandler, our grandson Chandler, has a birthday. He just had a celebrated birthday. And, I mean, so many birthdays. And, um I don't know what everybody was doing, but let's see, January is how many months? It's right after, I guess, spring. It was springtime, March, April. April were having babies. They were born in January. What are you going to do? Anyways, all right, so we got to get on with our broadcast today, and we need to talk. Uh, I want to say good morning to uh, Terry who's with us this morning. Good morning, Terry. And Charlotte Gotch, good morning, Charlotte. God bless you. And uh, we have a praise the Lord from Nalakurthi. I hope I didn't ruin that. I hope I'm saying your name properly. And uh, I see also Shirley Wolseley with us from Texas. Shirley and Mike, God bless you. Uh, Cindy Messman's with us this morning on the chat room. God bless you. And good morning. And uh, <clears throat> Cindy, you know, so funny about the COVID-19 deal. When COVID happened at New Wine Ministries, you know, we never shut down our church. But uh, Cindy had a license. She was a hairdresser in California. She's been cutting all of our hairs. Look how nice it is. Look at that. So uh, Cindy's been cutting everybody's hair at New Wine Ministries, men and women, and uh, started her own little business, you know, out of what was a debacle. 
It just shows that out of tragedy comes triumph, out of things that we think are so bad, good things happen. Uh, our ministry has just absolutely advanced into a glorious way, spirit, soul, and body, and we're thankful. We're so thankful to God for what he's doing. But Cindy, good morning, and I'm looking forward to another haircut real soon, maybe even today. I think we talked about it. So having said that, I want to just kind of get on with some uh, stuff to talk about today. I heard something in my spirit yesterday um, while I was preparing for the broadcast, and I'm going to share it with you. And it may sound as a big boing, uh, but let's see what the Lord is saying on this. And I want to refer to Jeremiah chapter 51. And I, I knew when I heard this in my mind, in my spirit, that it would be in the word. So, of course, I heard something in my spirit and then I came down, I opened up the concordance, and I typed what I heard, and sure enough, I want to read it to you, okay? And I'm going to start, because we've been in Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah 51 before, but if you would uh, allow for some Bible reading, and what we're going to do is read the scriptures, and then we're going to, we're going to utilize them as a scope uh, through which we're going to look through uh, at what's going on in the world today. You're hearing about the markets, potential collapse, you're hearing about Russia, you're hearing about the Ukraine. You're hearing about the stirrings of Islam in the Middle East. The black flags are coming. Um, there's, there's a lot that we need to look at, talk about, but we need to view them from what we consider to be the lens of truth, the biblical lens, and so that we could come up with an interpretation of what's going on. Probably most of you have already heard the story of Joe Biden calling uh, Peter Ducey from Fox News a stupid son of a blank, uh, caught on a hot mic. He didn't know he was on. He called him a stupid son of a bee. And, um, you know, we see these types of things happen. Uh, there's a video I wanted to show you three times from uh, Jan Psaki, Psaki, the speaker that talks for Biden. Uh, she's supposedly retiring, and it was said that uh, you, you could hear her on the video uh, when she's asked if she's leaving. She says, no, I love working for Obama, Biden, and it's the Obama-Biden and then you hear John Kerry say, no, I'd welcome, he, he was going to leave. And uh, Joe Biden was talking to John Kerry, and they were on camera. And uh, Joe Biden would say, well, I'm going to need John one way or the other. And then he looked at John Kerry and said, are you, are you leaving or going? He says, no, I think I'm done. I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. But I certainly would get behind an Obama presidency. Wow. And Joe Biden looks at him with, you know, and he never corrected it. He just went on. And then, of course, we have the video of uh, Stephen, Stephen Bears, what's his name from the late night show? I forget his name now. I don't ever watch that man except for when he's doing crazy things and they already puts it out there where uh, Obama's sitting there and he's asking him about a third term. And he says, you know, I've always dreamed, Obama said, uh, that uh, I could have uh, a front person, a man or a woman, and I could be in their ears sitting in my basement in my sweats directing the narrative. It's really crazy. Um, and I have that video. I could actually show that to you if we get going here. But what is this all about? What are we witnessing? You know, what's different about this moment? <sighs> Jeremiah chapter 51. Let's read through it. Just a few verses. Thus saith the Lord, I'm going to start in verse 1. Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me, a destroying wind. So in other words, I'm going to raise up against Babylon a destroying wind. And, verse 2 says, will send unto Babylon, I'm going to send them, fanners, 
that shall fan her and shall empty her land. For in the day of trouble, they shall be against her round about the day of trouble. What is the day of trouble actually referring to? The day of trouble is the day of the raw. It's a bad day, an evil day, a disagreeable, malignant, unpleasant, unhappy, miserable day, sad day. So in the day of trouble, and we've already seen some signs of days of trouble in our nation, right? And we refer to America sometimes as Babylon. They're, they're brilliant. Uh, cases out there that people have made for the reality of America being today's modern-day Babylon, just as Rome uh, was considered to be Babylon, and some other countries were considered uh, to be Sodom and Egypt, and even Israel was called Egypt and Sodom. So it's like these, uh, these definitions or these descriptions of ancient nations show up in modern-day nations, and today, America seems to have taken on both Egypt, Rome, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Babylon. I mean, it's all here in this mixed nation that was once a Judeo-Christian nation. But let's go on. What does it mean that he's going to send fanners? Well, the fanners were actually people that would take the, uh, the wheat and the chaff, and they would put it in some kind of a little deal, and they would throw it into the wind. And the wind would come and drive away the chaff so that the wheat would settle to the floor. And so there's the wind. I'm going to send to you what a destroying wind. And what is it going to do? It's going to be separating. So we're coming to a time in Babylon where he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's sending a destroying wind to destroy that which has been an enemy against him. Now, we could take this in the global day of judgment if we want to, but just kind of looking at it from the perspective of America uh, being identified with Babylon. Verse 3 Against him that bends, let the archer bend his bow. In other words, go to, go to war. And against him that lifts himself up in his brigadine, and spare ye not her young men, destroy ye utterly all her hosts. So whatever this destroying wind that is coming was the, uh, you're going to see here the kings of the Medes, it was the uh, Medo-Persian empire that was coming against Babylon in the writing, but it's beyond that, which you'll see in just a little bit that, when the Medes and the Persians came and defeated the Babylonians, they basically did it without a shot fired. So what is the prophet actually saying here about a future generation called Babylon? Let's, let's look at it this way. So in verse 4, thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they that are thrust through in her streets. So we're supposed to see... Uh, you know, a thousand fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. This is prophetic, and prophecy has dual meaning oftentimes. Verse 5, for Israel has not been forsaken. So God, God is saying even his people that were taken in captive into Babylon, remember for 70 years, for 70 years, Babylon had destroyed the temple. Remember, Babylon had whooped the, the Assyrian Empire. They were the, the ruling one world government on the earth, and uh, yet God told them 70 years. And so he's saying in verse 5, Israel has not been forsaken of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. So God allowed Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to go to Israel, go to Jerusalem, destroy the temple, take the Jewish people captive, because at that time their land was full of sin. But now we're reading at the end of this prophecy 
Now God's going to send judgment on the Babylonians. So now the Babylonians are going to get it. And he's saying, even though I send judgment against my people, Israel, I have not forsaken them because I'm connected to a covenant going all the way back to Abraham. And I'm going to ratify. I'm going to keep to my part of the covenant. So in verse 6, Jeremiah 51, verse 6, here's the message. Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Yeah, right, because souls are being consumed right now by the powers of darkness. I think that's very clear. Be not cut off in her iniquity. So in other words, if you don't flee out of Babylon when God is foretelling the judgment to come, you could actually get cut off in her iniquity. In other words, if you're in it, when the judgment comes, you're going to get hit. So the idea or the, the commandment here or the admonition is flee out of the midst of Babylon. And then we, we see this, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. This is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. So what is that vengeance? In just a few verses, we're going to see what it actually is. But when God allowed the Babylonians to go into Israel and into Jerusalem and destroy the temple and take his people into captivity and burn them with fire, and I mean, when the Babylonians came in, they brought destruction. God allowed it, but now it's the Lord's vengeance because the time period of judgment had come to an end. The 70 years was wrapping up, and so now it's time the, the prophet is prophesying this will happen. This is going to happen. Right now in America, uh, this present government is making war with the ecclesia. It's making war with the people of God, not just the Jews, but the Jew and the Gentile, the one new man in the earth, because that's how we view things uh, from God's perspective. God doesn't look at Jew and Gentile anymore. The middle wall of partition has been totally shut down. God doesn't see that. The only paradigm we have now is Christ. So the Jew and the Gentile that believe in Jesus have been born again, brought into one new man in the earth, and that one new man is Christ. It's not Jew and Gentile. That paradigm has long ago gone away. Only men today rebuild the wall of partition, uh, which is against God's heart and will, by the way. And we'll get to that if we need to. So he goes on here and he says in verse 7, Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand. You look at America today and you say, well, we've got a golden cup in the Lord's hand, okay, um, that made all the earth drunken. And boy, you think about America, how it has sent forth to the nations of the earth. We have financed abortion all over the world. True. Through the taxpayer dollars of Planned Parenthood around the world, American dollars have gone to sponsor more abortions. They're at the number, this was 10, 15 years ago, was over 500 million abortions around the world through the taxpayer dollars from the American people. That's a fact. We also uh, caused the nations of the earth to get drunk on our pornography. We sent pornography all over the world, and we have sent all over the world finances to support the LGBTQ community. We have done some of the most crazy things. Are the music that we have sent forth to the ends of the earth, you go anywhere. I've been in Germany, gone to a McDonald's, and there's rock and roll music. Uh, the culture of the foreign nations or nations outside of America, have been, they've been absorbed into the American culture. And the American culture has been kind of sent all over the world. And in some countries, it looks really funny, like in Africa, where they're all trying to be suited up, you know, pastors while everybody's carrying baskets on their head. It's really crazy and insane. 
But nonetheless, the nations have drunken of her wine, the wine of her fornication. Therefore, the nations are mad. The nations of the earth, they are. They're mad. What does that word mad mean? Here's what's interesting about the Hebrew word being mad. It's the halal. And it means to, to let's get into the, the, the deep definition here, uh, to be clear, to shine, to make a show, to boast, to be clamorously foolish, to rave, to celebrate, to stullify. Uh, it talks about um, feign oneself mad, uh, rage. So this could be good or bad. I mean, people could worship and celebrate the Lord, or people by the wine of Babylon could rage in the immorality uh, that has gone forth in the land. Uh, verse 8, verse 8. Babylon is suddenly fallen. I want you to think of that word suddenly, because the word suddenly is what's written all over the walls of our nation right now, okay? Uh, just as quickly as COVID-19 shut the world down, there's a suddenly coming. And that word, we basically know it, but in the Hebrew, it's the pithomi, and it means instantly, instantly. Okay, this is God's word. We're not making these things up. So instantly, suddenly, what will happen? Suddenly, Babylon is fallen and destroyed, destroyed. Howl for her. Take balm for her pain. If so be, she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, America, but she is not healed. You know, 400 years of the slavery conversation should have been healed a long time ago. They won't allow it to be healed. They keep pulling that scab off. Now we're into critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, all this stuff. That is living proof that the wounds of our nation will not be healed. The wounds of our nation cannot, will not, because we've rejected the healer. And the healer was Jesus Christ, who paid a price more than any black slave would have ever paid, or any white slave owner that was doing harm against another human being. But Jesus Christ paid the price for everybody, and the nation could be healed if it continued with the healer. But we, we, you know, we would have healed Babylon, but she's not healed. She won't let it go. Not only is she not healed of her racism, but she's not healed of a bunch of stuff, her abortions, her sexual perversion. I mean, they won't give it time to heal. And so they keep putting laws to make it more liquid so that you don't never have time for even a scab to grow on it. It's just oozing. It's wounds and, and putrefying sores. Where do you get that from? I mean, let me just read quickly out of Isaiah chapter one. And if you can't see this in this country, uh, you know, that's, you, you, we've got to wake up to these things in Isaiah chapter one, verse four, listen to the prophet Isaiah, ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, he was talking to his own people, Israel. He's talking to America today. The prophets are all speaking to the nations today, if we'll allow for that. Uh, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. We see that in Hollywood. We see that in politics. We see that in the arts. We see that everywhere. And so 
They have forsaken the Lord, and that's what has happened in our country. Even in the church has forsaken the Lord, believe it or not, and are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? So God has sent one judgment after another since 9-11-2001 in our nation, and he's asking the question. You know, I, I keep striping you. You have all these issues from uh, storms, floods, hurricanes, earthquakes, school shootings, mall shootings, concert shootings. I mean, I can go on down the list of all these terrorist attacks that go on. Everything that's happened, why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. Does that not sound like America today? With all the negative things that have happened, we just keep getting worse and worse. We keep rebelling more and more. We keep revolting more and more as a nation. Well, he's asking, why should I even spank you anymore? Spankings are always intended to turn the children back to their father's obedience. So this isn't working. So the whole head, he says, the whole head, the people, your leadership, everything is sick. And the whole heart is faint. The heart is faint. It's weary. It's dead. It's dried up. It's famished. Why? From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there is no soundness in it. Think about the United States today. There's no soundness in us anymore. There's no peace. There's no stability. There's no just let's settle down. It can't. We would not allow for the healing of God. Pay attention to what the word of the Lord is saying. There is no soundness in it, but wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. All we have in our nation are these open wounds of racism, open wounds of shedding innocent blood, open wounds of sexual perversion, open wounds, and we're bleeding, and we're, and we're putrefying with, with these open sores, and there's no ointment, there's no anointing, there's no healing. Why? They have forsaken the Lord. We have forsaken the Lord. You have to understand what is going on in the world today and in this superpower nation, once known as a Judeo-Christian nation, we must always remember. And I've got friends telling me, you know, you say the same thing over and over again, but sometimes we have to say the same thing over and over again. You know why? Because people have a tendency to forget. And I think it's the Spirit of God just saying over and over and over, don't be confused about what's going on in your country. Don't be confused about what's going on in the world. It is the time of God's vengeance. He's going to allow things to happen. Your nation, America, is sick from the to the soles of your feet. There's no soundness in you. You have open sores, wounds, and bruises. Putrefying stink is coming out of your open wounded sores. Tough word, isn't it? Your country, in verse 7 of Isaiah 1, is desolate. Wow, your country is desolate. Here's the prophetic. Here's what's going to happen to you because of your condition. Your cities are burned with fire, nuclear weapons, suitcase nuclear weapons. Today's vernacular, the cities of America are going to be destroyed. Barack Obama, Joe Biden, nobody on this earth, the FBI, the CIA, Homeland Security, NSA, are, are going to save this country from its desolation because the nation turned from God, who was the nation's strength. And now we're watching it cave in. 
We're watching it divide, and a house divided cannot stand. So don't be deceived. Understand what's going on. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. We have strangers devouring our land, strangers to the Constitution, strangers to the covenant, strangers to our Christian way of life, our moral ethics, our principles. Strangers have entered in with ideas and concepts that are strange and foreign to Judeo-Christian country. So what are they doing? They're devouring your land in your very presence. We have strangers coming across the border illegally. We have strangers coming in all over the place. Strange ideas, strange thinking. We have strangers from, uh, we have strangers from Sodom and Gomorrah visiting the land. Strangers. Watch, look, watch. He goes on and he says, And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage and a vineyard, as a lodge and a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. In other words, this nation is going to get whacked, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. Thank God for the remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Now listen to this word. This is amazing. What God would say to those people of America today, he said to Israel thousands of years ago through the prophet Isaiah, Hear the word of the Lord, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He was talking about the rulers of Israel. But he identifies them as the rulers of Sodom. And he says, give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So the children of Israel had become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Their leaders were Sodom. The people were Gomorrah. What a strange word, Gomorrah. Sounds like hemorrhage or something. It's really ugly. The, the identity of this thing. So I want to go back to Jeremiah now. And in, in uh, Jeremiah 51, um, the cry was, we would have healed, uh, Jeremiah 51, verse 9, we would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. And we just saw the open wounds, the putrefying sores, and all of that from Isaiah. Forsake her. Forsake her. And let us go everyone into his own country, for her judgment reaches unto heaven and is lifted up into the skies. Now, a potential consideration. I have, uh, you know, most of us in this country, we have backgrounds, uh, you know, our, our nationalities going back to different places, but some are, have, you know, Heinz 57, right? So where do I flee? I believe the word of the Lord about fleeing to your own country goes back to the book of Hebrews. And I'd like to read out of Hebrews chapter 10, just real quick. I want to show you the country I think we're all supposed to flee to. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, I'll just pick it up in verse 8, Hebrews 10, 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then I want to pick it up in verse 13. 
These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. So he's not talking about the country of your father's origin, but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city known as the New Jerusalem. So when we go back to Jeremiah 51, and he's saying, let us go everyone into his own country, for her judgment reaches unto heaven. God is calling you and I in the New Testament, the Jew and the Gentile, all believers who have become the body of Christ, the one new man on the earth, get into your country, the heavenly spirit. Walk in the spirit. <clears throat> in other words, you and I, who are believers and have received the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, we're called to walk in the Spirit. We're called to live in the Spirit. This is all in the New Testament. Walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and be led by the Spirit. We live in a time right now, <clears throat> like it said in Hebrews, you know, if it was about going back to our national origin, we could have returned, but that's not what Abraham was seeking. He was seeking a heavenly country, a heavenly place. Your place and my place in the kingdom of God is Mount Zion. It is the spirit. And the only way to survive the days that we are living in right now is to be walking in the spirit, to be led by the spirit. That's how we will survive. That is how we will thrive. That is how when <clears throat> Sodom and Gomorrah was being destroyed, where was Abraham? Abraham was on a mountaintop. He was walking along with God in the high places. Meanwhile, from the mountaintop, he's looking down at Sodom and Gomorrah. It's destroyed. He sees the sulfur and the fire. He sees it burning like a furnace. But it's not affecting him. Why? Because he's walking in covenant with God. And the country that you and I need to go to, flee out of Babylon, every man to his own country, well, our country that we're fleeing to is the country of our covenant, the country of our kingdom, the spirit, the heavenly, the new Jerusalem. Walk in the spirit, live in the spirit, be led by the spirit, bear the fruits of the spirit, fruits of the kingdom. This is how we will be led by the spirit. And I have friends that have written books about leaving America, and they have. People packed their bags, and they went traveling. They went to South America, and they fled the nation. And we were hearing it at the time, but we never bore witness to it. We just, we just knew that God brought us to Northwest Arkansas, so we were like, well, I mean, it's convincing, but I don't feel the leading to do that at all. And what I've come to realize is that God did want us exactly where we are, and just now while you're here, live in the spirit, walk in the spirit, be led by the spirit, you know, do the, you know, produce the fruits of a born again life, you know, and this is where we have found ourselves in the palm of God's hands. This is how we walk in the protection of God, the favor of the Lord. We are walking in the spirit and it's affording the blessings, not only of Abraham, but the blessings of the spirit of Christ. And so this is where true peace comes. This is where true love comes. This is where health 
springs forth. This is where all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So you don't have to go running away. Now, God did take us out of California by the Spirit. We were led by the Spirit out of an area I wouldn't want to be living in right now. So there are times God will pick people up, move them out, a little pioneering journey going on. That's okay. But ultimately, wherever you are, you have to walk in the Spirit. And if you're walking in the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, if the Spirit tells you to pick up, pack your bags, and go somewhere else, then you do it. That's it. Now, he goes on to say in verse 9, Jeremiah 51, verse 9, for her reaches unto heaven and is lifted up even to the sky. So let's talk about it just for a moment. The judgment on America is so clear. Her judgment is what? Reaching unto heaven and is lifted up to the skies. Do you realize what this country has done against God? Do you realize that the leaders of this nation took God's law, pulled them down, and in their place, they promoted laws that are against God? Do you understand that that is a spiritual war? That is a battle with the leaders of America that promoted the things that God hates? That is war talk. Do you understand that? And to get behind any one of these politicians or to believe any of them is ridiculous. It's foolish. They're just, they're fools. In their wisdom, they are fools. They actually thought that they could pull down laws of morality, protecting innocent blood, keeping marriage between a man and a woman, X chromosome, Y chromosome, normal, but they tore that down and said, we're going to murder little babies in the womb, and we're going to promote homosexuality and lesbianism and all these evils, and that they would get away with that? And because God hasn't done anything, well, he's been striping uh, this nation for how many years? Since 9-11, kaboom, and one stripe after another. But we're at the point where God saying, why should you be stricken anymore? You're so sick, all you keep doing is rebelling. There's only one solution for you. I'm going to preserve a remnant within the midst of you, but I'm going to destroy your nation. I'm going to destroy this putrid nation that has open wounds that they just won't let Heal. This isn't going on forever. God's word is very clear. This is not going on forever. And these people that are in positions of power, so deluded and drunk with their own, you know, thinking of themselves as being something when they're nothing, soon they're going to die. Soon their body is going to rot in the ground and their soul is going to be taken into hell. There's no doubt about this. Unless they repent, and you don't see that happening, there is no repentance. I mean, these people are evil. They are wicked. They are an abomination. They are really a sick, cruel, demented people that have made war with the living God, and they smile at you, and they have charisma. Are you kidding me? And for anybody to listen to anything they have to say is awkward, quite frankly, in my opinion. Let's go on. He says in verse 10 of Jeremiah 51, I'm getting to a point of what God spoke to my heart last night. The Lord has brought forth our righteousness. It's like a pause. Okay, destruction's coming. Now he's going back to the remnant. Okay, the Lord has brought forth our righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. That is to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why partially I believe this part of Jeremiah 51 is a future generation. Hello, that's us. So 
We're declaring he has brought forth our righteousness. Who is our righteousness? Jesus Christ is our righteousness. I don't have any righteousness of my own. If Jesus Christ's righteousness were to depart from my life, I have nothing. I am bankrupt of anything righteous. I have no good works. There is nothing in my life apart from what Jesus Christ has put into me that has any value before God. And if you view yourself any other way, you need to wake up because that's a delusion. There is nothing good in the human race. It is good for nothing. He says all the righteousness of man is as a filthy rag. Talking about a menstrual cloth. There's no righteousness in the human race in its fallen state. The only injection of what is right, the only righteousness is God's righteousness that's in his son, Jesus Christ. And his righteousness has been transferred to us and we're to put it on. And that's why we don't have any self-righteousness. There is none. But we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus knew no sin, and yet he took the sin of the whole world on him. So his righteousness is now upon us. So that's what we're to be declaring. That's what he said. That's what we're to be declaring. Come and let us declare in Zion the ecclesia of God, the church of Jesus Christ, made up of Jew and Gentile, one new man in the earth, the work of the Lord our God, the work of salvation, the work on the cross, the blood that was shed, the grace that was administered. Let these things be the what we're preoccupied with even in the time of great judgment upon the land in which we live. For our country is not America. Our country is heavenly. Our kingdom is that of Christ. We have no masters on this earth. We have one master. His name is Yeshua, and he's at the right hand of God in heaven, period. That's it. That's it. Now, verse 11, he's going to talk about how this destruction is coming. Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. The Lord, the Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for his device is against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. Now, how do I see that playing out? What is the vengeance of his temple? The vengeance of his temple, you have to go back. When this prophecy is fulfilled in the actual fulfilling, when the Medes and the Persians come in and take over the Babylonian Empire, they do it without a shot fired. You've got to look, look at the history, and it's amazing. But it's the time of the Lord's vengeance of his temple. What did the Babylonians do 70 years earlier? They destroyed God's temple. They burned it to the ground. And yes, there was sin in the land, and so God allowed it to happen. But God is saying, now I'm going to avenge you because you're no more righteous. I allowed you, Babylon, to be a battle axe in my hand. I allowed you to be a, a weapon in my hand against my people. But now my vengeance could be enacted on you. You destroyed something that belonged to my heart. Well, in our day, it's not a physical outward temple. It's what is happening to the church of Jesus Christ globally around the world and what just happened in 2020, where the government came in and the church allowed it, that's why more judgment's coming, uh, to shut everybody down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Go virtual. Keep the machine going. Go virtual. But the people of God did not gather together. What a shame. What a sham. What an insult. Now, judgment begins in the house of God. So we're not even through that process yet. But eventually, the judgment that's going to hit this nation 
is God's vengeance for what they've done against what belongs to him. Now, verse 12, set up the standard upon the walls of Babylon. Set up a standard. Make the watch strong. Set up the watchmen. Prepare the ambushes, which is the Arabs. (laughs) Uh, For the Lord has both devised and done that which he spoke against the inhabitants of America, Babylon. Folks, it's a weird deal, isn't it, to live in this country? It's such a strange thing. It's such a strange place to be. And the only, the only way I've learned to navigate through this moment is to realize that God is the center of everything for me and for you who believe. He's my home. He's my refuge. He's my source. He's everything. Um, And yet, on this earth, in this physical life, he's given us food to eat and water to drink. He's given us clothes to wear, a home to live in. He's given us jobs, and we work, and we pay our bills, and we help other people, and we do all these different things. Here's life. We go to the parks. We're with our families. We're with our children, with our friends. We go fishing. We go hunting. We live life. Life is a gift from God. And living it in the context of knowing that God is saying I'm going to destroy this nation is very interesting because it's almost like, well, that has, that means nothing to me. The only thing that means to me is that because God foretold it, he said, prepare, you're not going to be able to get what you've always had such easy access to in the very short future. You're not just going to be able to get in your car, drive down the street, go to the grocery store and get what you want. You're not always going to be able to go to the bank and go to an ATM and take money out. You're not always going to be able to just drive down to the doctor when you have a heart, a toothache, or a problem and get the attention you need. You need to know when God says, I'm going to destroy it, he's saying, I'm going to destroy it. And in the destruction that's about to be spoken of here, just the remnant is going to survive. And I have to believe God's speaking to the remnant that's living, going about our daily lives, praise God, enjoying life being blessed, having a future hope that we still were having enough wisdom to foresee the storm and prepare for it is enough. So, verse 13, O thou that dwellest upon many waters, America dwells upon many waters for sure, O thou that dwellest upon many waters, abundant in treasures. Oh, there's an abundance of treasure in our nation, right? Your end is come, and the measure of your covetousness. You know, see, that's a declaration. Your end is come. You who are abundant with treasure, I think there's a stock market thing going on right now in the news. It's getting ready to crash, right? Um, we'll see. 401ks and all investments in the stock market. To invest in a nation that sins against God is the greatest foolish thing I've ever known in my life. I would never do it. Ever, ever, ever. No, I don't want to. I tried it once. It doesn't work for me. Anyways, I wouldn't want to be trusting in this world system. Um, The best way to live your life, you want to invest your money, invest in the kingdom of God, invest in programs like these, invest where the word of God is taught, invest your wealth, your gold, your silver, your finances in the kingdom. The return on your investment, according to the word of God, is better than anything the world could give you, but People want riches. And, you know, if you go after riches, 
many people have entered into many sorrows going after wealth. Be content with what God gives you. Give to the kingdom. What better investment than investing in the kingdom of God? That's my take on it. You do what you want to do with that. But then he says this, your end has come. Now, when I read that, immediately my mind goes to Ezekiel chapter 7. So I want to cruise over to Ezekiel chapter 7, take a praise break, and here it goes. Ezekiel chapter 7, and it starts this way. And I'm just going to read just a little bit. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Also thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God unto the land of Israel. Here's going to speak now to Judeo-Christian America. An end, the end, is come upon the four corners of the land. Now is the end come upon you, and I will send my anger upon you, the Babylonians in this case, the the Assyrians in another case, and will judge you according to your ways and will recompense upon upon you all your abominations. See, there's a day of recompense. There's a day of accountability. My eye shall not spare you, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense your way upon you, and your abominations shall be in the midst of you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus the Lord God, an evil, and only evil, behold, is come. An end is come. The end is come. And I can go on down and read that and keep reading it over and over, and it's all it's talking about. The end has come. The end has come. An evil has come. No way out. It's done. It's finished. There's not going to be any longer a proverb saying, oh, for many days. No, it's here. And we're witnessing it. But I wonder if we're viewing the end of America properly. I wonder if we're viewing it properly because the America is gone. The America of Chevrolet apple pie baseball, I mean, they're trying to keep it like an illusionary thing up here, but it's gone. America's gone. But it's going to be destroyed in every facet, in every level of its existence. And the final wipeout is the burning cities. It's going to happen. Going back to Jeremiah 51, here's how he's going to do it. Verse 14, the Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, saying, surely I will fill thee with men as with caterpillars, and they shall lift up a shout against you. And I think those million people they said came through the border in the last year, I think they're all around us. There's going to shouts going to rise against this nation. It already has. We saw it in 2020, 2021, if people are paying attention. Uh, Verse 15, he has made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heaven by his understanding. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings with rain and brings forth the wind out of his treasures. Remember how this began? He's going to send a destroying wind, and he's showing the authority of God Almighty, who he really is. Verse 17, every man is brutish by his knowledge. What does brutish mean? Brutish. Every man is brutish. He's Ba'ar. And it means um, consumed, to kindle, um, burning, uh, waste. Every man is just consumed by what? His knowledge, his own knowledge. Every founder is confounded. By the graven image, for his molten image is falsehood and there is no breath in them. The things that men worship are not gods at all. They are vanity, the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. All the idols will perish. They'll be burned in the heaps. 
Uh, verse 19, the portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Okay, uh, thou art my battle axe, Israel, and weapons of war. For with thee will I break in pieces the nations, and with thee will I destroy kingdoms. With thee will I break in pieces the horse and his rider, and with thee will I break in pieces the chariot and his rider. With thee also will I break in pieces man and woman, and with thee will I break in pieces old and young. And with thee will I break in pieces the young man and the maid. I will also break in pieces with you the shepherd and his flock. And with you will I break in pieces the husband and his yoke of oxen. And with you will I break in pieces captains and rulers. And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, saith the Lord. What did we just read? How did you interpret that? My interpretation of what we just read is a, is, is a future rule of the church of Jesus Christ. We are told in the book of Revelation that the overcomers will rule the nations of the earth with a rod of iron. I believe that what God intended for Israel and was forsaken because of their lack of obedience, he is fulfilled in Christ, and that the Jew and the Gentile who have been born again into Christ and overcome and follow the Lamb wherever he goes, ultimately are going to rule the nations of the earth. We are going to rule and reign. We are going to govern the nations of the earth. And I believe that through the ecclesia with the rod in our hand, Revelation 2 talks about it. He who overcomes will rule the nations with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces and break them like shivers of a pottery. No, this is all ahead of us, this part. So we're going to render to Babylon all the inhabitants of Chaldea, all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, saith the Lord. Okay. So verse 25, I'm getting to the point of what we heard in our spirit last night. Behold, verse 25, I am against thee, O destroying mountain. Babylon was known as a destroying mountain. Remember that when it comes to Bible prophecy, looking at seven mountains. These are kingdoms, okay? But he says, I will... What? I'm against you, O destroying mountain, saith the Lord, which destroys all the earth, which America has done through its fornication, all of its nastiness in this generation. And I will stretch out my hand upon you and roll you down from the rocks and will make you a burnt mountain. America is going to burn. This kingdom, this superpower nation is going to be rolled down the rocks. It is going to be a burnt mountain. It's going to be a kingdom that has been destroyed by God. This is prophetic. This is happening, and it's going to continue to happen until you see the smoldering ash of what God's going to allow to happen to this country for its rebellion and abomination towards him. Then he says in verse 26, And they shall not take of thee a stone. For a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but you shall be desolate forever, saith the Lord. In other words, there's not going to be a stone left in you to, to rebuild you. In other words, the United States of America is going to be so utterly destroyed, there is no resurgence. In other words, this prophecy against Babylon, it was never to be built again. And that's why we know this is for the future. Because when the Medes and the Persians took over Babylon, they continued as a society. It was never destroyed. And in Revelation 18, it was a further prophecy of an ancient destruction. And they said, that was Rome was destroyed. No, there was emergence there. That whole thing came back it's in the world today. Babylon's here today. There comes the time of a final destruction without a cornerstone or a stone to ever rebuild again. That's upon us. He says this. 
and, and this is the part that I was getting to, okay? Verse 27, set ye up a standard in the land, blow the trumpet among the nations. We're trying to do that today. Prepare the nations against her, call together against her the kingdoms of Ararat, many Ashkenaz, appoint a captain against her, cause the horses to come up as the rough caterpillars. You know what that actually sounds like? The United Nations gathering together to subdue the United States of America that was at the head of the United Nations. But things have shifted and changed, and there's something really insane going on behind the scenes. An, an assembly of nations is coming to destroy the United States of America. And if you don't think that 360 million people live in our country, right, half of them are what, children, women, whatever, very small, very small. China boasts minimum 200 million man army. The Middle East, Islam, easy 200 million. The nations of the earth, Russia, China, Islam, and, and you say it's all about who's got the biggest bomb and so on. Man, this could be a nightmare. This is World War III. This is Revelation chapter 9 and 10. It talks about it. Now it's going to depopulate the earth by half. In the Bible, it's because it says it's a third, but between that and the other judgment, half the population of the world is ready to go through these pandemics and scams and all these things that are happening. So he gets to this and he said in verse 28, prepare against her the nations, the United Nations, with the kings of the Medes and the captains thereof and all the rulers thereof and all the land of his dominion. And now I get to the verse, what I heard in my spirit last night, and then when I heard it, I looked it up, and I found it, and here it is. This is what I heard God saying, and this is what I suspect suddenly is going to happen in the very near future. The land shall tremble and sorrow, for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon, America. To make the land of Babylon, America, a desolation without an inhabitant. You see, Iraq had inhabitants. That was ancient Babylon, Iraq. This prophecy has never been fulfilled. But that final nation that takes on the Babylonian thing, Israel was called by God Egypt, Babylon. John the Baptist was called the spirit of Elijah. What is that? As it was in the beginning, so shall it be in the end. As we're coming to the end of the ages, and we're looking at world orders, as we look through the biblical lens, things become a little bit more clear what God's doing in the He's He's bringing the allowing judgment to hit his once Judeo-Christian nation. I believe that with all my heart. And everything connected to it that fell with it, because we have fallen, obviously, like Israel did, now comes the judgment because, uh, or the destruction because the spankings, we didn't turn at his reproof. So our nation has gone now beyond getting spanked anymore, like we read in Isaiah. Now comes the destruction. But this is speaking of a destruction without an inhabitant being left. What could possibly happen in the land of America 
that God would simply preserve a remnant. He will, he said, he'll preserve a remnant, protect it, like Noah in the ark or whatever. What could create an environment where there's not an inhabitant left? That did not happen when the Medes and Persians came to Babylon. Their inhabitants were everywhere. It just went on under new ownership. This is ahead of us. Nuclear weapons, dirty bombs, flu, disease. What's going to wipe out 360 million people? We're just one nation of 360 million. There are 8 billion people on the earth. 8 billion. And they're saying that the word of God says that half of them, 4 billion, will be eradicated. What's 360 million? A nation that promoted 500 million abortions. The taxpayer dollars sponsored Planned Parenthood around the world to murder innocent blood. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The grace on this nation is departed. Now, what do you have? You slaughtered 500 million innocent babies. That's more than the people that live in this country. And you're telling me that God can't wipe out every inhabitant while protecting a remnant under his sovereign protection that God can't do that? Yeah, he can. Yeah, he can. Yes, he will. And he's warning us and warning us and warning us. Jeremiah spent 40 years warning his nation. And then we read the book of Lamentations of what's happening. There he is, the weeping prophet, walking through the burnt stones and the rubble of his nation. While all of his countrymen were taken into captivity, he warned them. He warned them, and then God, 70 years later, was going to exact his judgment. But what we're reading here isn't what happened in Babylon. Babylon. Here we're talking about desolation without an inhabitant. Verse 30 goes on to say, but the part that I heard in my spirit was these exact words, the land shall tremble and sorrow. So the word tremble, the land, is the ra'ash, and it simply means to quake. It means to shake. It literally means to undulate or undulate. It also means through fear, particularly in the definition through fear. To spring is a locust. Uh Uh-oh, Revelation 9 comes to mind with the locust. To make afraid, to shake it, to cause it to tremble. The land shall be made afraid by the events that are coming upon it. That's what he's saying. And sorrow. So it will tr- the land shall tremble and sorrow. The word sorrow there is the cool, K-H-O-O-L, to twist or to whirl, to wreathe in pain, fear, to pervert, tremble, to travail, wow, to be wounded. These are the definitions of the Hebrew language for what God says he's bringing to this nation. And it's not just this nation, but we're doubly accountable 
Do you realize what this country has done against God? Do you understand the blasphemy? Do you understand that they are satanically, purposely making war with God and the church went to sleep so that they could be on TV? The land shall tremble and sorrow. In verse 30, the mighty men of Babylon, here's the warriors, have forborne to fight. People have been asking, where are the patriots? Where are the patriots? The mighty men of Babylon have forborne to fight. They have remained in their holds. Hmm. Why? Because their might hath failed. They're afraid of going to prison, afraid of going to jail. It's almost like we're witnessing something, the mighty men of Babylon, the warriors, the patriots, they're not fighting. Their countrymen who stood up are in prison, they're not fighting. Why? Their strength, their might has failed. They became as women Ooh, what a reproach. What a reproach. They became his women. They have burned her dwelling places. Her bars are broken. The enemy. Verse 31, one post shall run to meet another and one messenger to meet another to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken at one end. And the passages are stopped and the reeds they have burned with fire and the men of war are afraid. I'm going to stop right there. Um, I heard this in my heart last night. It's nothing new. Just kind of strange that these thoughts come into your mind. You know, the land shall tremble and sorrow suddenly. The day of vengeance upon a nation that has offended God for 40 years. The time of accountability has come. Flee out of the midst of her in your mind, in your thought, in, in what you're holding on to of this world's goods. Trust in the Lord. Make sure everything you have came from him. Walk in the spirit. Live in the spirit. Think in the spirit. Be led by the spirit. Don't be afraid. Make sure that your heart does not get hardened. Make sure that your love does not grow cold. Make sure you don't operate in a spirit of fear. And don't be offended anything. Because a lot of offense is coming down the pike. And just make sure that you stay the course. Stay the course. Stay the course. Be, excuse me, stable in this unstable moment. A wise man heard the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and built his life upon those words by doing what the word said to do. Do you know Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Do I? Are we doing what it says? If you just read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and do what it says, you're a wise man. And when the floods came and when all the pressure came, the house stood because it was founded upon a rock. You will remain stable in your spirit, your soul, your body when you obey the words of Jesus. Forgiveness is key to everything. Love is key to everything. Grace, mercy, truth, light, 
Obey, do what God says to do, and you'll be all right. You'll be in the spirit because you will have built your life on the word of God. Can you read Matthew 5, 6, and say, beyond the shadow of a doubt, I have obeyed everything this word says? Do it. Study it out. Search it out. Is it real? Do you have those attitudes down pat? Do any of us have everything that Jesus said down pat? We must. We absolutely must if we're going to remain because the foolish man heard what Jesus taught but didn't do it, and that same storm came and swept the house away, and the collapse was great. America is that house, and it's on slippery ground right now. The foundations have been washed away, and there's nothing but sand. And the sandy foundation in these days is not healthy, and those living in that house are going to fall with it. So I get you be the person to do what God's word says to do, obey it, and I'm sure you're going to be fine. If you obey this word of God from your heart, you're going to be okay. But don't expect to be okay. Well, I do 80% of the word. I obey 80%. There's just 20% I don't obey. That's not safe. Well, I do 99.999% of it. There's that one point of a percentage I don't do. It's not safe. I tell you the truth. Jesus said, he who hears these words and does them, all of them, will be a wise man. Only a fool would do 99.99% and leave a little bit undone. That's foolish. Why not go all the way? You're a percentage point away of being the safest people on the planet by obeying every word of God. Doesn't it make you want to go back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and read it in maybe four different versions of the Bible? I mean, does it, don't you want to just make sure your foundation is intact? Jesus Christ, Paul said, is the foundation in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What did he mean? What Jesus taught is foundation. So we read the words of Jesus, particularly in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Are we there? Are we doing it? If we spent the next month going through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, step by step, and asking, am I doing this? Am I doing this mentally, emotionally, physically? Am I doing this? You know, something very interesting happened when I read this, the land shall tremble in sorrow. It brought me back to an older prophecy that I've read so many different times, and it was so alive in 2020 when people were in hospitals and the COVID thing was going on, and they were saying they were pulling people out of hospitals, dead bodies were everywhere, filling these cooler trucks. I thought, man, here it is. This is this prophecy in Amos chapter 8. You'll remember it. In Amos chapter 8, verse 1, thus saith the Lord God, or thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. We've read this prophecy several times. So he's showing Amos a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. 
Then said the Lord unto me, the end, there's that end thing again, the end is upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. We actually saw a partial fulfillment of this. The temple, the church choirs were shut down. People were online trying to have services. Preachers that are used to having 10,000 people before them were now standing before a camera, nobody in the room. Bodies were being taken out of hospitals and nursing homes, silently putting them away. This isn't over. It's like we just saw a preview of the first part of this, but then you swing on down to verse 8. The other part of this prophecy was, shall not the land tremble for this? And there's that phrase again, the land shall tremble. Shall not the land tremble for this? And it was because of their wickedness that they were doing. And everyone mourned that dwells therein, sorrow, right? Just like Jeremiah 51 said. And it, and it shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. What's he talking about? And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. What does he mean? I will darken the earth in the clear day does not require man-made weapons of mass destruction to create an electromagnetic pulse to shut down the electrical grid. God can do it by sending a coronial mass ejection from the sun into our atmosphere and wipe out the grid all over the world. Is that what he's saying? Pray that your flight be not in the winter. I'll darken the earth in the clear day. Lights out. And what will happen? And I will turn your feast into mourning, hmm. all your songs into lamentation. I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head, and I will make it as the morning of an only sun and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, the true words of God. They shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. You know, people today, they, they, they are so desperate to hear their preacher tell them, it's all going to be okay. Prosperity, wealth, fortune, they've got to hear it. They've spent their whole life building their empires. I think they may have built it on faulty foundation. If one has built their life on the prosperity gospel, not a good foundation. Better thing to have done was to build your life and our lives on holiness, righteousness, obedience, the cross, death to self, and then let the other stuff come but to have built it on, oh, I got all these promises of worldly wealth and materialism and prosperity. <clears throat> you know what the true blessing is going to be in today's world? Mind at peace is at more value than 10 bars of gold. A mind at peace, a heart with joy, real joy. 
real joy. The joy that doesn't leave after the exciting moments of whatever. That's going to be more valuable. Love is more valuable than rubies. Wisdom is far beyond diamonds. Spiritual qualities, the mind of Christ, a heart in tune with the spirit, one who can lay their head upon the breast of the master and hear his heartbeat and hear the message of his heart. These things are valuable. Worldly success, he just said, they have no breath in them. They're going to burn up all of it. Built my empire, my house, my home on all this wealth and these promises, but I'm a mess. I don't have peace. I don't have real joy. Nothing's really, you know, exciting. What did you do? Because that empire is going to come down in the day of the Lord's vengeance. And it's here. We're foretelling it. It's the word of God. You say, well, I don't have any wealth. Well, who cares? Did you build your life on the word of God? Whether you have or don't have, I personally think if you put God first in your life, and you build on the foundation of obedience to his word and move in that direction, he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. I really believe that. And there's much more to God's word than just Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And that's why we study the new covenant. And we do get excited about being the children of Abraham, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, heirs of God, ruling the nations, becoming governors over cities. Yeah. They, all of our needs are met. He shakes it down, presses it together, overflowing, shall men give into our bosoms when we obey the Lord and when we do what he says to do in giving to others. But that's all secondary to the spiritual blessing of being forgiven. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. Come on, I'm being real. I mean, if you had all the money in the world, but you had a guilty conscience, you had fear in your heart, and you had to do everything to protect you, you had anxiety, worry, and the idea that you're going to lose it all at one point, people are going to lose everything very soon. You could lose a loved one. You could lose a family member. And then what good is all that stuff? Having our hearts set on God is the only right thing to do. And I tell you, there's major warfare coming to knock everybody off their foundation. I mean, that wind is coming. That, that fan is coming. That waves of raging, roaring rivers of water to sweep away. They're coming, Jesus said. That's why we have to be established on the foundation, the, the obedience to the word of God. I believe it's important. So it's Tuesday and you may say, wow, I wish I could have heard something more positive. I think it's very positive. How is it positive? If it draws me closer to God and makes me realize, see, when I get off the air here any minute now, um, I'll be moseying on over. I've got a couple of things I've got to do. And then I'll be going to a funeral. And I'm going to the funeral of a man that I met 12 years ago who was a beautiful man of God. His name was Eldon Long. He was the mayor of Lowell, Arkansas for two terms. It's kind of unheard of around here. But he was a two-term mayor. Eldon had some kind of apostolic gifting going on in his life. And he always enjoyed Patricia and I. And when we met, we always enjoyed him. We knew his mother. She was a part of our ecclesia until she passed away a few years ago. And uh, Eldon was 67 years old when he died last week of COVID. He leaves behind a beautiful family, 
and love his son, Chris, and his wife and their family. I'm going to his funeral when I get through here today. And it's a reminder. Eldon owned like 200 acres of land, was a mayor, gorgeous family, loved, loved family, hunting, fishing, just a man. But he loved God. And he's gone. He left the planet at 67. So we're going to go and say hello. I actually was asked to do the funeral of his mother, Rosalie, when she passed away, and the whole family was there. And it's a reminder. And I want to remind you, and I'll be reminded, life is a vapor. Life is a vapor. We have no guarantee that tomorrow will come. Zero. Life has shown, and one could ignore this if they want to. To me, I think when these things happen, it's God reminding. Remember, live your life in a manner that pleases the Lord because you never know when your last breath will be. You know, I've never personally desired to live a long time. I'm shocked that I'm alive now. I thought I'd be dead at 25. Can't believe I'm still living. And Phil said last night, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. (laughs) How much time do we have? What are we taking out of this world? Gold, silver, land, houses, family, spouses, clothes, jewels. What are you going to leave with if you were to die today? I know what I'm leaving with. Zero things of this world. Nothing. The only thing I'm taking out of this world is the treasures in my heart. Number one treasure, Christ. Christ. I don't want to give him up for anything. And I'm terrified for people that are messing with God's word. I am so afraid for people. Oh, you have no idea. I can't get into that right now. If you died today, what are you going to take with you? Even if they put all your gold in the, in the casket with you, your spirit and soul is leaving. It's gone. You're not going to take that. It's going into the earth, buried. Life is a vapor, dear friends. People are dying all over the world. We're in the last two years, just people are dying. People are dying. Ray Bentley, I met him in California. I had a 8,000-seat congregation in Rancho Bernardo, California. Ray Bentley, the pastor, and they loved him. He died just the other day. They died. They died. They're dying. They're dying. People are dying everywhere. 5G that they're going to put online? Here's my take, whether you like it or not or believe it or not. I don't know. But my take is that they're going to flip the switch of 5G and the whole world is coming online. (laughs) And people are going to die everywhere because of it. And then they're going to say, oh, we got to get back to that vaccination. We got to get back. The people are dying. It's a pandemic. And they're not going to admit that it's their 5G towers that are killing people. So they're going to bring it back. And right now, oh, it's getting better. 
you know, it's getting better. Come on, come on. There's a little bit more that's getting better. Supreme Court rules over here. Oh, come on, New York governor. Okay, they judges right there. They, it's okay. It's getting better. You really think this nation's going to get better without repentance? Do you really believe that? Here today, where are you going at the end of your life? If it's today, where's your heart? Only you really know where your heart is. Has it been so busy and distracted that you're not even aware of your true condition? Do you know not being aware of the true condition of your own heart could prove to be disastrous? I've told you the story. It's worth telling one more time. On a sunny weekday afternoon, around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, San Diego, California, Bernardo Center Drive, Ranch Bernardo, driving my car going home, I came upon a scene, and in the scene, a man was laying in the street, an old man and his wife, probably an older man, mid-80s, holding each other, terrified, standing outside their car. The man on the street I went over to, blood was pumping out of his brain. I mean, his head was just a gusher of blood. I ripped my shirt off. I wrapped it around his head. His leg was wrapped around his neck. He was a twisted, mangled mess. I don't know EMT stuff. I just kind of started praying, prophesying, rebuking, pleading the blood of Jesus, doing what I can to stop the blood from flowing out of his head. Finally, this ambulance shows up. I don't know how long it took. They put him in there. His bike was a mess. Obviously, the elderly people hit the guy on a bike going downhill at high speeds, and he flew. And He didn't think that was going to happen that day. I got in my car, and I slammed my hand on the dashboard. I said, why did I have to see that? It was such a beautiful day. Why did I have to see that? And just as real as you're hearing my voice, I heard God say, this is the condition of my church. He said that. See, when I was around the man and I'm praying, he started yelling at me for a moment. Leave me alone. Get away from me. I got to go. And he was so belligerent, I stood up and said, go ahead, get up, go, knowing he was in shock. And when God told me this is the condition of my church, he said, they have been ripped to shreds emotionally, mentally, physically. So many people in the body of Christ are living a life in shock because they've been so damaged. And the Lord told me this. They're living in shock. They've got to get healed. People living out of their past, still affected by the emotions of what happened to them. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Jesus Christ is our healer. You just never know. What God was saying to me that day was, my people don't know their true condition. 
They don't understand that man on the ground that started yelling at me, get away from me, I got to go, in shock, didn't understand at that moment his true condition. You are bleeding out of your head. Your leg is wrapped around your neck. You are twisted and broken, and yet you're shouting, you got to get on with life. I got to get back on my bike. I got place. And I knew that's what he was saying in shock. I got to go. I can't afford this breakdown. Didn't understand, willingly or unwillingly, his true condition. Let me ask you a question. Do you really understand your heart's true condition? Do you get it? Spend time viewing it? Or are you living in shock, broken? People look at you and you may have some stuff, but they look at you and go, you're broken. You're broken. No, the church would never do that. The church is too soft to tell people, you're broken. You're absolutely broken, and you're walking wounded, and you need to be healed. Oh, no. We'd rather fluff and stuff people because the broken people have stuff to give. Got the big tithers. You know, give the offerings. Oh, yeah, you're broken, but don't say anything. And don't you think it's time to start telling people? It was a long time ago, by the way. You're broken. You're not healed. Oh, your wealth hasn't healed a thing. You're broken. You're damaged goods. You have no stability. You're up and down. You go in and out. No bueno. Not safe. I'm not saying this to insult anybody. I would only insult myself because maybe I haven't said enough to people around my life. Hey, man, you're broken. We bring the word and we share it, yes, and we do speak the truth in love, and yes, but there are people that are just broken, and you're sitting here going, I, don't, how do I, I didn't know how to help that man on the ground that day. I honestly didn't have a clue what to do to help him. And sometimes people walk into our lives, I, and I sit there, and I kind of view it. I see it like I saw that man, but I don't know how to help them. It's like, what, what happened to you? And if they don't talk out of, the, out of the true condition and understanding of what's going on in their lives, there's no way to really help So you bring the word, and you preach the word, you preach the word, you preach the word, and you think, okay, the word is going to be heard, and they're going to get it, and they're going to see it, and they're going to embrace it, and they're going to utilize that word to bring healing in their lives. That's what will happen. So you preach that word, and you kind of know what's going on, and and you're preaching the word to the situation, but you wonder, are they ever really getting it? Or at that very moment when the word went forth, did they get into a stupor of, oh, what do I got to do for breakfast? At that same moment, because the demons are in control. The demons don't want to let them go. It's just weird. It's just such a weird, awkward thing. And yet if we have any genuine care at all for the body of Christ and for people of God, it's a desperate time. I tried to tell that at dinner last night without spoiling the good mood of our celebration of Phil's birthday. It's, what's going on behind the scenes in the spirit world is unbelievable. And God's telling us through this word, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all the same. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm coming with some weapons, and you need to tell the church, suddenly, the land is going to tremble and sorrow. What next? Lord, what are you going to bring now? 
nuclear 9-11? What more? What's happening? What's going to happen? I care about as much as what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now as I do about a, a fly that just dropped a whatever. I don't care. You know why? Because it's the same old distraction. Now, it may prove to be useful to what God's saying he's going to bring. I don't know. I could care less. You know what I'm more concerned about is the condition of my heart and the condition of your heart. That's why I'm talking with you right now. It's the condition of your heart. To try to make you become as interested as I feel the Spirit of God is right now for you. Are you okay? Are you genuine? Is it real? Or are you bleeding from the head? Are you have open wounds that won't be healed? What's going on with you? Today is the day of your salvation. So be healed in the name of Jesus. Let it go, whatever your past is that's keeping you bleeding. Whatever damages have been done to you. The physician has swept you up in his arms and brought you to the banqueting table and healed you by his stripes. What are you saying? Do you have no faith? And now you're getting ready to go through some deep stuff. If you're still alive and remaining, what's coming down the pike is deep. Nothing but footmen all this time. We haven't even begun to hear the chariots, let alone watch them roll on the land. So much nonsense and foolishness. Our sins have separated us from God in the sense of we're not observing properly, we're not seeing properly. I've got to roll. I've got to get going. Um, If I said it, it would sound so generic sometimes. It's like, God, just God loves you. He loves you. You're more important to him than so much stuff. He loves you so much that he made you aware of his son, that you believe in his son. God granted you that faith and that grace to know, and he granted you a gift of repentance. He loves you. Don't get stuck now. Move forward. Pioneers of God, move forward. Get your forehead like flint. Get your heart strong. Put your shoulders back. Lift up your hands. Go forward on purpose to serve the living God and say to everything, every spirit, every devil, every man, woman, every circumstance, you're not pulling me away from my walk with Jesus Christ. His word, this word right here, is law to my heart. You're not going to take it away from me. You're not going to twist it. You're not going to change it. You're not going to break it. You're not going to pervert it. You're not going to do anything to pull my heart away from this word. Because this word right here, and the man Jesus saved my life. You didn't. 
Your philosophy didn't. Your government didn't. No, no, no. The Word saved my life. And his name is Jesus. You want to call him Yahshua? Call him Yahshua. But he's Jesus, Yahshua, Hamashiach. Come on. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's my meat. It's my milk, my wine. It's my life, and it's yours. And he's got a message for you in the new covenant. Enter into the new country. Flee Babylon, all this nonsense of this world system. Get out of it. Start living in the scriptures, living in the kingdom, living in the spirit, living in the country of God, the word of God. Live in this reality, and you'll be joyful. And you'll be happy you did. Come out of her, my people. Live over here. And when these other things happen, you'll be observing, just like he said. A thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh thy dwelling. If you believe this. And everyone said yes and amen. And I've got to go. All right. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. I just got to go. Have a blessed day. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm sorry. Can't take any more calls or read comments. We just got to go. Shalom.